All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are breaking down the all 22 film from the Falcons week three win over the New York Giants, talking quite a bit about the improvements made by the defense, as well as what is left for this Falcons offense to improve. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter, at Falcfans, contributing weekly at the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons, and of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, where daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and I appreciate all of you that make the Locked On Falcons podcast your first listen of the day, and I want to let you know that this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast is free and available on all platforms and soon to be will be available on YouTube as well as uh, the audio waves, these various audio podcast platforms that you can find. And of course, you know, when I give, can give you more information about when we will be launching the video version of this Locked On Falcons podcast, I will give you that information, but that is coming. Today's episode will be a in-depth conversation about what I saw on the film And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about sort of the five pillars of offensive production and what's gone wrong for the Falcons offense so far this year. This year, we'll look at the defensive film and and talk about some positive performance from Isaiah Oliver and what schematic adjustments that DMPs made um, where and whether or not that's potentially pushing the scheme closer to what Raheem Morris did the last two seasons. We'll talk about the improvement from Jalen Mayfield and why I still remain skeptical about that improvement. We'll talk about why Kyle Pitt was limited for much of this game, why Calvin Ridley and Matt Ryan haven't been quite living up to expectations. And I know for a lot of people that are going to listen to this episode, um, you know, they're going to make it seem or to them, it's going to sound like negativity and and me complaining about things. But, you know, I didn't turn on the film this week and, and come away thinking, oh, man, the Falcons played much better than I thought much, you know, played great football. You know, today's episode is to me, I don't frame it as complaining. Maybe you hear it as complaining, but I frame it as like, this is an episode where we're going to really diagnose the ongoing problems for the Falcons. And while I acknowledge that the Falcons did show progress this week, I think that progress was incremental in my eyes. And I want to see that progress continue. And to me, that's why we're going to talk about some of the things that the Falcons still need to work on in order to continue down that path. And whether it takes a week to, you know, show enough progress to to say that these are non-issues moving forward a month or an entire year. Uh, you know, that's where this is coming from. So I want to start things off talking about the offense and we've talked quite a bit about the offensive struggle so far this year. And I, you know, it was notable that football outsiders put out a stat today on Twitter saying that the Falcons were 32nd in offensive DVOA and 30th in defensive DVOA. And they're the only team, you know, that has finished in the bottom three in both of those uh, categories over the first three games of the season this decade, besides the 2019 Dolphins, which were the tank for two Dolphins under first year head coach Brian Flores. So you can draw parallels between the Falcons rebuild and the Dolphins rebuild. Although, again, I, I don't feel like the talent level of uh, that Dolphin team compares to the talent level of this current Falcons team. But, um, you know, what was notable 
the football outsiders added to that was that the only of those teams that finished bottom three in both of those categories that finished the season with a winning record, you had to go all the way back to the 1983 Cardinals. So I think for those of you that are a tad bit more optimistic that the Falcons are going to figure things out by year's end, there is sort of your historical precedent that they're going to have to beat. So uh, we'll see what progress they can continue to show. But in thinking about this Falcons offense. I don't think it's all bad. And we'll talk about some of the things that they've done well uh, later in today's episode, but I don't think it's been particularly good. And I think one of the reasons why going back to something that Dave Choate said on yesterday's episode in terms of how surprised he has been and, and, and he shares the same sentiment that I have with how shocking the Falcons have been is because when you look at the five quote unquote pillars uh, of offensive production, the five boxes that you want to check in, in no particular order, those are quarterback play, the running game, the offensive line, your receiver core and your play calling, you know, the Falcons are essentially experiencing the worst case scenario in all five of those areas. And I, I want to explain that, you know, we spend a lot of time talking and thinking about, you know, these areas of the roster and what this team would look like under Arthur Smith uh, throughout the offseason, having the various questions that we had and starting with the quarterback play, you know, we wondered if Matt Ryan is on the decline, would he experience a drop similar to what Drew Brees saw in New Orleans, where we saw those last couple of years there where that new Saints offense was limited due to diminishing arm strength from Drew Brees. And guess what? That's kind of been the case with the Falcons this year with a lot of dinking and dunking. And you have Matt Ryan's pro football focus grades while he's been under pressure. That's been the big criticism I've had for Matt Ryan these last couple of years in terms of his decline. And his grade under pressure is at the bottom of the league alongside rookies like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and veterans that most people consider replaceable like Ben Roethlisberger and Jimmy Garoppolo. And while I don't think the film tells me that Matt Ryan is quote unquote cooked or washed or whatever, at least the numbers through three games are suggesting that that is the case. Moving on to the running game, you know, while we love what Cordero Patterson brings to the table as a receiver out of the backfield, he hasn't been particularly effective as a running back really since that first quarter against Philadelphia. And it's led to the Falcons running game being as ineffective as we have seen recent running games, whether we're looking at the 2018, 2019 and 2020 rushing team and, and, and those running games struggling and the early returns on this current Falcons running game is that they're any, they're not any better and arguably they may be worse. Um, the offensive line of course continues to affect both of the aforementioned issues with Matt Ryan's quarterback play in the running game. Um, we had, we certainly had questions about the quality of our starters at left guard and center and many expressing doubts about, you know, Kayla McGarry at right tackle. And so far this year, you know, despite seeing some progress this week, overall, it's been rough at those three uh, positions. Then you have the receiver core and we wondered how effective the weapons besides Calvin, Ridley and Kyle Pitts would wind up being looking at players like Russell Gage, Alameda Zacchaeus and Hayden Hurst and, and what, how prominent roles they were going to have. And so far this year, we haven't seen a ton from those guys. We've seen flashes here and there, but just not consistency there. And then you couple that with Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley, not quite living up to expectations. And then we get to the play calling and we wondered where Arthur Smith fit on this spectrum when compared to past Falcons play callers, where you have on one end of the spectrum, Kyle Shanahan representing a really high level play caller, Dirk Cutter being on the opposite end of the spectrum, representing a low level one and Sark being somewhere in the middle. And while others assumed that Shanahan or that Smith was going to be closer to Shanahan, I didn't have those expectations, but I figured he'd at least be at Sark level at worst. And guess what? And while this is debatable, but based off what we've seen so far this year, I don't think he's lived up to the Stark standard. And I think you can make a case he hasn't lived up to the Dirk Cutter standard, you know, in terms of the play calling to date. 
and so many of my biggest criticisms that I've had for Steve Sarkeesian's offense and Dirk Cutter's offense over the past four years, in many ways, those issues have continued and not, if not been magnified under Arthur Smith. And I think that latter issue that I'm really focusing on there is the team's lack of explosiveness. And Dave Cho and I discussed this on yesterday's episode uh, where this offense is a tad too reminiscent of that 2013 Falcons offense that existed from, you know, week six onward until about week 13 against the bills. You know, Julio Jones got hurt after the week five game. There was a week six by that year and, and against the bills in week 13, that was when Roddy white looked like he was back to form and healthy, but there was a six game stretch between, that where basically the Falcons passing game was Tony Gonzalez and Harry Douglas and the offense did not look particularly good and largely from my eyes and, and this sort of started me down the path of you know focusing on how explosive offenses were that the Falcons really struggled because they couldn't deliver on explosive plays and a lot of people linked that to hey the offensive line is bad and Matt Ryan doesn't have the time and that certainly was a contributing factor to it but a lot of it was also conservative play calling a lot of it was quarterback play. And when you look at Matt Ryan's average depth of target during that six game stretch, you know, he was last in the NFL during that stretch of games with an average depth of target at 6.4 yards. And you look at his current one, which is currently second to last in the NFL. Shout out to Andy Dalton for uh, coming in at the very bottom. He, you know, he's at even a lower number at 4.9. And when I say it's all not bad, I mean that when I say, when you look at when this offense has played up to expectations. You look at, say, the first quarter against Philadelphia, the second and third quarters against Tampa Bay, and the fourth quarter against the Giants. You know, across those four quarters, you have, you know, a, a game's worth of possessions, about 10 possessions out of the 35 that they've had this year. And the Falcons have been able to score 41 out of the 48 points that they've had this season on those 10 possessions, um, with eight out of those 10 possessions resulting in scores. And right now, with eight out of the Falcons' nine scores coming on those 10 possessions. And right now you, you've seen also the Falcons generate nine 20 plus yard plays in terms of that explosiveness. And eight of those nine plays have come on one of those 10 possessions during that stretch of games, which just goes back to reiterating my point that I made eight years ago, starting in 2013 with my writings at Falcons.com RIP as well on, as on this podcast over the last eight years is explosiveness is everything in the NFL. And if you're going to reduce it to one core philosophy, one core religion that I believe in, it's a simple equation, big plays equal points and points equals wins. Right. And, and people always wondered why Aaron, why do you hate Muhammad Sanu? Why do you like Alameda Zacchaeus more than you like Russell Gage? Why do you have such an affinity for players like Marvin Hall and Taylor Gabriel and Alchick Robinson. And it boils down to this core belief, this belief that, you know, explosiveness matters and your value as a wide receiver is largely due to the fact that you, how explosive you can be. It's not as sort of explicit at the tight end position, but one of the reasons why I was such an early adopter of the Kyle Pitts hype train back in February, when he was being mocked to the Falcons number four overall, and the vast majority of Falcon fans were like, ill gross. I don't like it. You know, it was because Kyle Pitts had the ability to add rare explosiveness at the tight end position that you don't often see. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so hard on Arthur Smith, because when I watched the film of him, his Titans offense over the last two years, one of the first things I keyed in on was watching those explosive plays. And I had a legitimate question over how much of the Titans explosiveness that they've shown over the last two years was due to design and how much of it was Derrick Henry, AJ Brown being dudes, how much of it was Ryan Tannehill making these ridiculous throws. And then you couple that with the Falcons trading Julio Jones, you no longer had the one guy that you knew in Atlanta was that type of dude. And so you then had to rely more on the design of the play 
plays to generate those explosiveness plays. And Arthur Smith simply hasn't delivered in that regard. And that was one of my biggest criticisms of Sark and Cutter and why their offenses were so inept from time to time and so inconsistent because they were overly reliant on players like Julio Jones being the dude, right? And, you know, that's not a particularly reliable and consistent way of playing because injuries happen in the NFL and we know that's the case with Julio Jones. And if your ability to dial up explosive plays and thus your ability to score points is player based rather than system based, you know, when injuries happen, you're going to be screwed. When, when you face opponents that have, you know, also talented players on defense that can, you know, slow down those players on your offense, then you're going to be screwed. And so far this year, you know, all but one of the Falcons explosive plays have been short throws have been, you know, Calvin Ridley, Cordero Patterson and Kyle Pitts making plays after the catch being the quote unquote dudes on, on those big plays. The lone exception to that is the deep ball that they threw the Kyle Pitts at the end of this giants game that set up the game winning field goal from young way. So there is progress there that the last explosive play we've seen was the type of explosive play you want to see on a regular basis in his offense. So maybe that's something they can build off of with that corner route to Kyle Pitts. But, you know, I think really when we're talking about the ongoing issues with the Falcons and and no one really wants to talk about it, but I think it's certainly fair to say, you know, the Falcons are feeling the loss of Julio Jones similarly to that sort of worst case scenario right now. The worst case scenario as far as how impactful Julio Jones was for this Falcons offense is being felt by this team. But, you know, we're not going to get into that too much on today's episode, but we will get into, you know, what Pitt showed against the Giants game and, and why he was limited for a large part of the game, what Calvin Ridley didn't show in the game. In addition to Matt Ryan, we'll talk about Jalen Mayfield's improved play. And if that's something that, you know, is worthy of being bought into, but, you know, we'll turn our attention to a little bit more of positive insights from the film and talk about the Falcons defense and, and talk about, you know, the schematic changes that were made on that side of the ball that may have contributed to not only Isaiah Oliver's success, but the defense's overall success. But while I appreciate you guys making lockdown Falcons, your first listen, I have a suggestion for what could be your second listen of the day. As you listened to podcasts in the gym, in your car or wherever you are, you know, check out one of the daily college shows that we have. Have devoted to college football as well as other college sports here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite college team and or college conference. And you can, of course, find those shows on YouTube, on the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Bet Online is back and it's better than ever, and all eyes are now on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season and with a updated website and interface and even more. Odds, props, and contests, betonline.ag continues to be your number one source for everything football. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today with the promo code locked on for a 100% welcome bonus. The Falcons are one and a half point underdogs at home against Washington this week. And you also have an over under of 47 and a half points. And I'm looking at that under and saying, hmm, that seems intriguing given some of the offensive concerns I have. I don't think this is going to be a shootout. But however you're feeling about this upcoming Falcons Washington, Washington game. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So I know when you're stuck in bumper to bumper traffic in Atlanta or wherever you call home, you're burning through a ton of gas. Why not get some cash back so that you can save at the pump? You now can with a new app called Get Upside when you open an account. On GetUpside, you get 25 cents back per gallon every time you fill up. Over time, that kind of savings starts to add up. 
with some people making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back with get upside. You not only save, but you also have multiple cash out options with the direct payment into your bank account, PayPal, Amazon gift cards, or more available all the time. And now when you open an account and use their special promo code to touchdown, you can get a bonus 25 cents back per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents per gallon. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Download the free get upside app available in the app store or on Google play and use the promo code touchdown. When you sign up, that's get upside promo code touchdown to start saving every time you fill up. So while I haven't charted the entire T of the Falcons defensive plays at any point this season, I don't know the exact percentages, but it did seem like to me, one of the things I noticed was the Falcons were playing more of those middle of the field close coverages to start this week's game against the giants. And those are the cover one when you're utilizing man coverage, cover three when you're utilizing zone coverage. And it seemed like they were using that much more this week than they had in previous games. You know, one of the things I noted on last Wednesday's All-22 review of that Bucks game, that the Bucks continually gashed the Falcons when they were using those split safety, those middle of the field open, mainly cover two looks. And I wonder how much of that change was due to that in the Falcons making an adjustment. Maybe some of that was due to the fact that TJ Green was starting at left corner instead of AJ Terrell. Maybe they felt like TJ Green was a little bit more comfortable playing in within the cover three scheme than he was playing in the cover two scheme. And part of that may have been some of the few times that the Falcons were able to thwart the Bucks when they were pushing the ball down the field against their cover two was due to outstanding individual plays made by AJ Terrell. And with him out of the lineup, you didn't expect TJ green to be making those plays. So you dialed back the cover two. So, you know, we'll probably get a more definitive answer in that regard once AJ Terrell returns to the lineup, hopefully this week, uh, so that we can try to slow down Terry McLaurin. And we'll see if the Falcons continue to utilize more cover one and cover three stuff with a healthy AJ Terrell as indicative of this movement back or, or, or away from the cover two stuff. But it's funny because. You know, we've talked quite a bit about how different Dean Pease's defense is going to be from Raheem Morris and what he's ran in 2019 and 2020. And the Raheem Morris defenses were heavily reliant on cover one and cover three as the bulk of their main uh, coverages with about two thirds of their defensive coverages and play calls being one of those two looks. And so it does seem like if they're going to do that more then Dean Pease is basically just like, we're just going to run the same defense that, you know, um, Raheem Morris ran, which is going back to points made in terms of DMPs, not necessarily reinventing the wheel uh, when it comes schematically to what he's doing differently on defense. Another positive I'll note for the defense. I thought this was Deion Jones's best game today. He played well in this game. Deion Jones has been much maligned on this broadcast when he does not play particularly well. Um, you know, I thought Isaiah Oliver, as many people have noted, played really well. He locked down Kadarius Tony for the most part. And part of me certainly wants to go on a draft related rant about the Giants selecting Kadarius Tony, which I thought was one of the worst draft picks I've seen in, in recent years, at least in the first round. But I will save that rant for Twitter. So go check me out on uh, Falk fans to see that rant at some point, either. Um, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever I feel like uh, going into that. But, you know, I think certainly this was Oliver's best game. And I do wonder how much of that was related to the fact that the Falcons utilize more cover three, because one of the things I noted during the summer, especially when talking about uh, the various narratives about how Dean Pease was going to make Oliver better. um, You know, I was a little skeptical of that because when I looked at how effective Oliver was in zone coverage when the Falcons were asking him to play cover three versus cover two. And in cover three, he was asked to be playing that flat more often than not. And he was very effective playing that role. But when he was asked to play cover two, 
that's when teams were having a lot more success picking on him. Well, it's not as simple to say, oh, Oliver was good because the Falcons played more cover three with their zone looks. Because, again, um, you know, Oliver looked really good in man coverage, particularly against Tony. He also made many plays in run support. He made many plays in, as a blitzer. Uh, so that, those are the contributing factors to why he graded out so highly and played so well in this game. And we also know that Dean Pease is much more interested in, in exotic disguises. So he'll often have Oliver line up in a nickel and then drop, you know, to cover the deep half when the Falcons do use that cover two, those inverted cover two coverages where he's essentially acting as a deep safety on those plays. But I also don't think it's a complete coincidence that Isaiah Oliver had his best game in a game where the Falcons did utilize more cover three, which seems to be at least as far as zone is concerned, a much more natural fit for his skill set. Um, let's move on to the offensive line. Let's talk about Jalen Mayfield. I do think think Jalen Mayfield did play better in this game. He certainly made two standout plays as a run blocker in this game that really stood out to my eyes watching the film was a nice second level block on a Patterson's, I think it was 11 yard run early in the game and then had it, the key block, I think downfield on that screen pass to Patterson at the end of the game. Um, so I do want to note those positives before we get into my concerns with Jalen Mayfield. You know, I don't want to say that this game was fool's gold, but I, I do feel like I still remain a little skeptical of how well Jalen Mayfield played in this game and how well he graded in this game. He, you know, graded out well for pro football focus was the 14th highest graded guard this week after two weeks of being dead last uh, in their grades, you know, with rankings of 65 and 69 respectively in weeks one and two. Um, you know, I think it was less about his improvement that he showed. Although again, I acknowledge that he did show legit improvement in this game, but I think a lot of it was due to at least that high grade was due to the fact that he didn't have to face Leonard Williams nearly as much as I thought. One of the concerns I had going into this game was looking at pro football focuses, positional charting data Uh, in weeks one and two, Leonard Williams had a combined 31 pass rushing snaps where he was lined up at the right defensive tackle position, meaning more often than not, he's going to be facing the left guard. Uh, But in week three, he only had six of those snaps. And to me, a lot of those plays were instances where the Falcons were running line, utilizing play action passing. And so therefore he wasn't able to really pin his ears back. I only noticed watching the film and maybe I missed one or two, but for the most part, it was a handful of plays. I only missed, I noticed two plays where he was in a, when it was a clear pass rushing situation and he was going up against Jalen Mayfield and clearly got an opportunity to pin his ears back. And, and on the first one, which came in the first half, I recall he got help. Mayfield that is got help from uh, Matt Hennessy. So that's a positive sign. Cause we didn't quite see that nearly to the degree that we probably should have in week one uh, going up against Javon Hargrave. And then the second one came late in the game um, as well. And, and Mayfield seemingly held up in that game. Um, although I noted, um, Mayfield did miss a block against Leonard Williams on the goal line run right before the Lee Smith touchdown uh, at the end of the game. Um, and Leonard Williams really owned him in that one-on-one situation. But a lot of Mayfield's reps, at least as a pass protector, and why I think you saw a big improvement for his pass protecting grade, was he wasn't going up against quality pass rushers. He was facing Danny Shelton and Austin Johnson a lot more, and they had a combined 20 pass rushing snaps uh, lined up at that right defensive tackle spot. And I think Mayfield only had one snap against Dexter Lawrence, and I think Mayfield wound up giving up a quarterback hit on that play to Lawrence on that play. So this is not me discrediting Mayfield because, again, I do think he showed progress. I think his technique was a little bit better. His balance was a little bit better, and certainly I think he, he showcased some good ability as a run blocker in this game outside of that one sort of short yardage 
situation, but I do still express some skepticism over how much improvement he has shown so far. And I think this upcoming week is going to be a better litmus test to really see that because I think in this Giants game, essentially it's the difference between facing Grady Jarrett 20 times versus facing Tyler Davis in 20 times. And if you're facing Tyler Davis in 20 times, chances are much higher that you're going to wind up winning more of your assignments uh, than you would if you were facing Grady Jarrett. And I think, you know, arguably Tyler Davidson is a better pass rusher than either Danny Shelton or Austin Johnson is. So that also uh, plays a part in it. So I think this week against Washington, you're not going to probably have this scenario where the Giants, for whatever reason, asked Leonard Williams to play a lot more five technique. And so therefore he was going up against Jake Matthews a lot more in this game, um, which, you know, was basically matching strength on strength in terms of the Falcons best pass protector against the Giants best pass rusher. And that kind of negated Leonard Williams to a certain extent. But this week against Washington, I don't think Mayfield's going to have that luxury because Jonathan Allen spends a lot of time on that side. And when Allen's not there, it's usually Deron Payne. And occasionally the the Redskins, I'm sorry, Washington does like to kick Chase Young inside. And so I I don't think you are going to get too many matchups of um, Jalen Mayfield against a Danny Shelton or Austin Johnson type of player in Washington's front. So this game, I think is going to be a better litmus test for what he can do. Uh, And I certainly think if he can crack the top 40 or top 50 highest graded guards for pro football focus this week, then you'll get me to buy a little bit more in to, Hey, Jalen Mayfield is showing steady progress and maybe uh, will actually be a serviceable to decent starter for the Falcons uh, for the remainder of this year. But um, we'll continue talking about the offense and talking about why Kyle was so quiet in this game what's going on with Calvin Ridley and we'll also touch upon Matt Ryan as well but before we get there guys as I just discussed Jalen Mayfield still has a tough task ahead of him in going into week four Uh, he's probably going to need to get a little bit of extra protein in his diet that certainly would help and the great thing is that he can do that with Built Bar and he doesn't have to sacrifice flavor Built Bars are the best tasting protein bar on the market they have several delicious flavors whether you're a fan of coconut almond like me or you prefer mint brownie cookies and cream cherry barcia double chocolate peanut butter brownie salted caramel coconut or raspberry there's something for everyone you can try them all with a mix box Built Bars are great because they taste just like a candy bar they contain 100% real chocolate but you get none of the guilt because they're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. Go order yourself some today or ship Jalen Mayfield some by heading over to the website today at built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So one of the narratives that I saw quickly emerge, you know, on Sunday evening and Monday was that, oh, Kyle Pitts was quiet because the Giants sort of schemed um, against him and, and we're bracketing him. And I don't really think the film reflected that too much to a huge degree. Um, it, you know, it didn't seem like the giants were specifically doing anything to take Kyle Pitts out of this game. I just think it was a natural result of the various coverages that they like to use, which was a lot of sort of cover two, cover four stuff that split safety stuff that I know is the bunch and the various routes that the Falcons were asking Pitts to run, which was running him into those areas of the zone that would naturally make him bracketed where you would have a linebacker underneath him and a safety over the top or a cornerback underneath him in the, safety over the top or something like that. And so there it did seem like the Falcons were trying to target some plays, design some plays to get Pitts the ball early in the game. There was a couple of plays in the first half where I saw that, but they weren't able to get Pitts the ball. I, one I recall was a check down to the running back. Another was a dump off to Lee Smith on a rollout. That check down to the running back was one where Matt Ryan could have potentially tried to force it over an underneath running back. Uh, I'm sorry, another the linebacker in front of Pitts and try to throw it over that guy's head uh, and didn't pull the trigger on that. And, you know, I don't feel the need to criticize Matt Ryan for 
being a little, probably a little bit more conservative in that regard, trying to force pits the ball in those situations. Cause I recall that was like on the first or second possession. Um, but as the game wore on, particularly on those final two drives, you did start because it was obviously more do or die situation where the Falcons needed to score where Matt Ryan was a lot more willing to sort of throw the balls into, into those tighter windows to Kyle Pitts, even if he wasn't open. And one of those was that big third down conversion uh, that wound up being his first catch of the game. Uh, another one was the two missed lobs that he had in the end zone um, to Kyle Pitt, and one of them was nearly picked by Logan Ryan. And I do think the Falcons do need to do a better job of scheming ways to get Pitts the ball early and often in these games, especially in games where they're not going to be able as reliant on Russell Gage and whatever's going on with Hayden Hurst. Um, so I, I do think, you know, getting more slants, getting more screens, getting more, you know, Pitts out of bunch formations, which is kind of what they did on that uh, corner route at the end uh, where they were kind of running a, a rub concept uh, because of a bunch formation a little bit where Giants defenders were sort of getting blocking each other's path uh, on that corner route and, and pitch was able to get open or seeing him isolated on three by one sets where he's the one wide receiver split out wide and you get a one-on-one and, and that forces, you know, defenses to um, not be able to either it forces them to provide the safety help over the top to pitch or leave him one-on-one or, you know, if you move that safety over there, then you have a three by one set on the opposite side where you have three wide receivers where you can continue to use those bunch formations to use those route combinations to crisscross guys and, 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 and beat zones and whatnot. So I think that those are ways that the Falcons can, you know, do a better job uh, finding ways to get pitch the ball early and often, you know, watching the film reiterated what I thought live in regards to Matt Ryan, which is this was not a great performance for Matt Ryan. Um, he had a couple of dropped interceptions where it seemed like he was forcing the ball into coverage. Uh, you know, all, all those plays, he was under pressure, but in those instances, he was kind of throwing off his back foot, throwing into traffic and basically got away with some dropped interceptions. And I don't think, you know, him being under pressure is an excuse for had those balls being caught by the defender. Uh, we would have not been sitting here saying, oh, Matt Ryan played great. Um, you know, I think Matt Ryan also showed happy feet at times and, you know, that led that contributed to some of the sacks that he wound up taking more so than the blocking. You know, I won't sit here and say, you know, the sacks that Matt Ryan took were all on Matt Ryan. But, you know, when you're sort of splitting that and saying, is it 20 percent, the blocking 50 percent, the blocking 80 percent, the blocking, you know, I think it's skewed a little bit lower than it has in previous weeks uh, where it's a little bit more of the onus is on Matt Ryan as opposed to the blocking. Now, when we talk about Matt Ryan, I don't think Matt Ryan is washed. I don't think he's cooked or anything like that. Um, but I do think this game probably was the game he looked the most washed in. If you were on this sort of, you know, extreme, you know, he's either washed or he's not this either or sort of analysis. Um, but I, I do think some of the struggles that he's going through right now is contributing not only to a declining skill set, but, you know, pre- predominantly, let's say, um, you know, conservative play calling, vanilla route combinations, obviously, you know, questionable blocking up front you know, his wide receivers not being ideal, which relates back to the point made about not having that security blanket named Julio Jones. He's not quite there with Kyle Pitts. He's not really there with Ridley, uh, you know, and, you know, I don't think Ridley played great in this game. You know, I think a lot of the Giants' success was that they were able to man up the Falcons' receivers for the most part. That was especially true of guys like Zacchaeus and Hurst that struggled to get separation in this game. And, and Pitts, while I don't think was struggling to get separation, 
again, I think because of some of the routes he was asked, it wasn't really being asked to beat man coverage and Ridley didn't really do a great job. I thought James Bradbury did a really good job in this game uh, and had a, a sort of get right game for him, a bounce back game for him after two weeks of struggling where I thought he did a really good job uh, where there were several plays in this game where the Falcons were essentially expecting Calvin really to win in man to man coverage where he was lined up against James Bradbury and he did not. Um, but I'm not going to come down too hard on Calvin really not yet. You know, again, I don't think this was a great game for him. He had that drop ball, which was one of those instances where the Falcons were asking him to win in man coverage against Bradbury and he couldn't separate. And then sort of the tentativeness that Ridley showed after the catch on a couple of plays. Um, but one of the things that I did, I was paying a little bit more attention to this week is I've not seen Calvin Ridley running a lot of those corner and comeback routes that I thought he ran very effectively last year in Dirk Cutter's offense. And I think it's ironic because one of the criticisms I had when Dirk Cutter first came to uh, Atlanta back in 2019 was I thought he was running way too many vertical routes, way too many of these sort of clear out routes where he wasn't really running anything other than just basically to clear up some underneath slant for somebody or whatever the case may be. And he needed to run more of the in-breaking routes that and you know including those slants and crossers that Ridley was so effective running in his first year under Steve Sarkeesian in 2018 and now it seems like under Arthur Smith all he's running is crossers in those in-breaking routes and he's running none of the vertical stuff that Ridley showed you know in the past that he was very good at running so I do certainly think Ridley has to play better but I also think the Falcons could do a better job uh, catering their offense to some of his strengths and you know I know a lot of people myself included pointed out how well Matt Ryan played at the end uh, given his his numbers going 11 for 12 passing on those last two possessions. And I, to me, you know, again, whether this is a coincidence or not, but it was notable to me that the Falcons two other, uh, the three scoring drives did come at the end of the first half, as well as the fourth quarter, uh, where presumably the Falcons were running their two minute offense or their four minute offense. And, you know, why that means something to me is typically, you know, dinking and dunking can be a little bit more valuable in those situations, just because defenses tend to play a little bit more conservative in those situations and are a little bit more willing to give up the short stuff, playing more prevent in those situations. And so I wonder if that sort of played into the Falcon strength, why suddenly their dinking and dunking offense worked in, in on those uh, particular drives. And, you know, it's funny because over the years, particularly over the last four years where the Falcons offense has been, you know, up and down under Sark and, and Cutter, you know, I've been asked a thousand times over that period of time, like, you know, when, whenever the offense is struggling, someone always asks me, Aaron, you know, sends in a, a, a Q&A question being like, Aaron, should we run no huddle? That's where Matt Ryan is at his best and and Usually my answer to that question is no. The key for the Falcons to turn their offense around is getting more of those explosive plays. And, and no huddle, as I said, typically leads to a lot more dinking and dunking. But, you know, unless the Falcons can really do find ways to generate those explosive plays, you know, if they are going to continue to dinking and dunk, uh, to dink and dunk, um, you know, that would be a situation where, you know, maybe running a little bit more up-tempo stuff and no huddle stuff would be beneficial if that's what they're going to be. Again, ideally, they're just going to be able to dial up more explosive plays rather than having to run no huddle to make their very inefficient offense more efficient. But um, it is something to think about. So. As I said, you know, I know a lot of today's episode, uh, you know, included complaining and criticism. But again, I'm trying to diagnose the issues, the ongoing issues with the Falcons, as I hope to continue to see them show progress. And hopefully some of these issues that we talked about on today's episode. And again, not expecting this to get fixed overnight, but certainly I want to see progress made in some of these issues in terms of the routes and the explosiveness and, and all these various things. And Jalen Mayfield, as I mentioned uh, 
earlier. And so, you know, I'll continue to say, Hey man, it would be a great opportunity to sign someone like John Brown, an explosive wide receiver that can help solve these issues. I also noted that uh, Marvin Hall is unsigned and I'm like, Hey, you know, I speculated last week that the reason why the Falcons didn't sign John Brown was he's probably too expensive, but I don't think that's going to be a problem with Marvin Hall. If you're looking for an explosive vertical threat that can play for the veteran minimum, I think Marvin Hall is your guy. Um, and you know, not to mention that him and Matt Ryan have played together. So, you know, you, he's not going to necessarily have to take as much time to build that rapport with Marvin Hall as he in theory would have to do with, with John Brown. So some things to think about and we'll see what happens, you know, this weekend, obviously tomorrow we will get into sort of the expectations for this upcoming matchup uh, with David Harrison, one of the co-hosts of the Washington football team. And you're probably saying, wait, David Harrison, isn't that the lockdown bucks guy? Yes. We've already talked to David Harrison once on, on this season, and we're going to get three episodes with potentially with David Harrison, uh, who is the co-host, not only of the lockdown Washington football podcast, but also the co-host of the lockdown bus podcast. And of course, if you want to get more insight into that Washington football team, might as well make them your second listen or another suggestion for your second listen today after this first listen of lockdown Falcons, which I appreciate for you guys to make is of course the locked on bets podcast where you're looking to make a little bit of money on your side. And of course, handicapping expert Lee Sterling of Paramount sports is on the locked on bets podcast, giving you his daily picks, his blowout specials, as well as his lock of the day. Follow the locked on bets podcast presented by BetOnline.ag on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. I appreciate it guys till then.